All right, welcome into another edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. No Paul Fritschner for this one. I have a special co-host. You know him better as the Cap, CapX on Twitter and other social media platforms. Uh, we we know him as Jason Meyer. He's joining us here on the Musketeer Report podcast. Uh, Jason, Cap, really appreciate you being able to carve out a little bit of time for us after your big week. I mean, I didn't know when I had asked you to do this podcast that you were going to be featured in the, the newspaper of record in this city and uh, that you're social media platforms are going to be blowing up. So I thank you for carving out some of the time. Well, what can I say? I'm big time. Uh, let's make it quick. Um, but, uh, but it is, is nice to be on here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, in all seriousness though, like let's go through your background story a little bit because okay. I think a lot of people on Musketeer report probably know who you are by this point, but there are definitely some people that when I, I have you on the Twitter spaces after a game or your name gets brought up on the message board and people are talking about you where some people ask me like, who the hell is this cap guy or what is his deal? <laughs> and when that happens, I never really know exactly how to explain you to people. Yeah. So kind of here's what I know of your backstory and you can kind of <laughs> fill in what I've got wrong and what I've got. Right. Okay. You were in the Navy, right? I was in the Navy five years active duty. Okay. But like that, that, that was around what time you were college. I was, in, I was in from 15. And I got, got out in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. Okay, well, how old were you at that time? Like eighteen? So I joined at twenty-one, got out at twenty-six. Okay, so there you go. That's that's what you were doing when I like first kind of started knowing about you, I think. And then you got super into Xavier basketball memes on Twitter. You were like already doing this on your personal account, but you yep. started the CapX account. You're just like, I'm going all in. I'm going to be obnoxious yep. all the time. I'm going to be outrageous, and I'm just going to be up in everybody's mentions and doing crazy things with Xavier basketball. And that's when you really like, I, I started to know you, we became friends a little bit. And uh, since then it's kind of taken off and you've became a known personality around the Xavier world, but also you started or got this kind of ball rolling on the, the zip them up team, the basketball tournament team for Xavier alumni. How did you go from like doing funny tweets and memes to getting involved with this? And like, what was that whole transition like? God, it's just been a wild ride, dude. It's just you never know what could happen. And when I just started making memes, it was just for fun. Um, but it, it's just been crazy, dude. Like, because I just think it's kind of one of those things. It's like you can kind of do whatever you want. And, you know, anyone that tells you you can't, you know, is kind of full of it. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to send it. I'm a degenerate. I'm just going to have some fun and uh, just send some tweets and see what happens. Like the worst thing that people can say is you're an idiot, you know, get back, you know, get back on Twitter. Um, but no, like I just kind of believe in just reaching out and seeing what happens. So knowing Rick Carter and just, you know, him, him heading up JP McCure, I was like, let's just do this thing, man. Like it's worth a shot. You know what I mean? And that's just kind of been my mentality the last five years. It's worth a shot. And I just keep shooting my shot and shooting my shot and shooting my shot. And that's where we're at. And being so Rick, the way. you were doing like Twitter spaces and just fun stuff after Xavier or not even after Xavier games necessarily, but just in general talking Xavier basketball with fans. And that's kind of how you started to get hooked up with Rick Carter, right? The former Xavier assistant, he started jumping into the yep. Twitter spaces and just interacting with you out of nowhere. Is that how that came about? Pretty much. Yeah. He just started jumping in and then we would randomly just like DM on Instagram every once in a while. Like, you know, there's literally a stupid story. Like I was like stranded in San Diego, like my car broke down and like, I was like, essentially complaining about it on my Instagram account, just kind of jokingly. He's like, bro, you good? You need me to like, you need me to call you an Uber or whatever, like just crap like that. So, and then I just, honestly, dude, it just started me seeing him tweet at JP McCure about TBT. And at that time I was watching so much TBT at that time in the middle of the pandemic, it was like the only thing that was on. And I, I was talking to my brother. I'm like, dude, Xavier should have a freaking team. Like it makes no sense for them not to. And I was like, dude, and I was, I'll do all the behind the scenes stuff. And Rick was like, all right, let's do it. And we jump on. And before I know it, it's, 
two days in and we're just doing this full time, like working on making something up happen. So um, it's just it's kind of been too fast to even really uh, understand what's even going on. I've just been been moving, you know. So the first year you guys did this was two years ago, right? This is our third year. So correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When that, that first year, and I'm, I don't remember who all was on the team. I know JP was a big part of getting that going. Definitely. How did you, what was that process like when you're first starting to reach out to all these guys? Who was reaching out to the players? Were you involved in that? And how did you convince them to come back to Cincinnati and play in this? Well, at that time, it wasn't even Cincinnati. You're playing somewhere else. Right. Um, last year was the first year you had in Cincinnati. But how were you able to convince them to come back and, and join this group? Sure. It was kind of a tough sell. And it was kind of, you remember when Jeremy Grow was kind of like an acting assistant at Xavier when they had like just steal and grow pretty much. That was kind of my role. I was kind of Jeremy Grow at first, like, because it was just me and Rick for the first little bit. So I was kind of like a special assistant. I would jump on a, a couple calls here and there. But to I'm, be sure, with, I'm sure Jeremy Grow is thrilled to hear you say that. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I did not mean to, to slander Jeremy Grow on this podcast. I didn't wake up with that intention, I promise. Uh, sorry about that. I'll apologize to him in person. Um, but anyway, uh, so I was involved a little bit, but most of my stuff was just behind the scenes, paperwork, making sure we're squared away, branding, that type of stuff, uh, dealing with essentially the TBT folks. Uh, once D came on, it was D and Rick doing all the recruiting. And and that's one thing that like all this stuff gets published. It, it, I kind of laugh because it's like, I, I think it's overblown, like what I've done. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I've been a big part of it and all that kind of stuff. But like, without Rick and D, it, it's, it's not a thing. Like last year, Rick willed this thing forward it was absolutely insane how much he's put into it um so it, it was all d and rick i mean and that's what what helps is having that player perspective for d it's like he speaks that language i mean he, he is re- i think they just have a different kind of relationship than if it's like me or rick essentially trying to sell them doing it for d it's more of like hey we're brothers let's let's do this thing together kind of mentality so they were huge on the recruiting side i was mostly behind dealing with tbt how did you guys get it to the CentOS Center? What was that process like? Because they basically choose, what is it, eight regional sites to play these games at, and then they all bring right. them together for the, the final four or whatever it is. But uh, until then, you've got them scattered out throughout the country at different cities where they think will be well attended. How did yeah. Cincinnati become one of those cities? Well, we owe a lot to Xavier's administration because if, if Xavier's administration didn't want to do it, it wouldn't happen. Um, so they had to be on their side also being really cooperative with TBT as well. Um, but honestly, it was just the fan presence. I mean, because that was my my number one goal from day one was to just, if we're going to do this thing, we're going to do it the best we possibly can. And I wanted to have the fans to be as engaged as possible because I knew that was going to be huge for our marketability. And I knew our marketability was going to be, you know, what got them to want to come to CentOS. Because if our fan engagement was terrible, they wouldn't want to come to CentOS. They'd have no reason to come. So so I, I think in, in the first game, I was absolutely blown away uh, in Columbus um, with the turnout that we had because we were just, it was just a mad scramble. I mean, we had eight months or so to get everything going to get Brandon going to get players to get this thing marketed and to get whatever it was that arena was jam-packed it felt like an old school a10 arena when Xavier would go on the road to like st joe's i mean our people were just on top of you and it was like such a different vibe than a game i mean they were rowdy it was nuts i mean denny stew was like just screaming <laughs> people's faces like it was incredible like jp mccura's doing the gator chomp with the fans like turning around and jacking them up like um it was just nuts um, so I was blown away. They're doing off the backboard dunks and people are just throwing, like, it was crazy. Um, so I was blown away by that. And, and I mean, TBT folks like came up to me, the brass were like, that was the craziest 
uh, debut I may, I may have ever seen in, in TBT. Um, so that was huge. And then they started saying like, hey, we think that there's potential of, you know, Xavier being a regional site. And if you want to have those conversations, we can. And of course, we're like, absolutely, let's do this thing. I think it's amazing for the city. And, and that's kind of how the ball got rolling. So last year it, it was at the Cintas Center and it was pretty well attended from what yeah. it sounds like. I mean, they, they obviously opted to bring it back again. How did everything go? And and also I want I want you were asking you were talking about how like much the players got into it. Yeah. That first year. How much did it change having it at the Cintas Center this year? Did that or last year? Did that add like another layer of excitement for the the players that came back to play in this? Oh, it added so much more juice. I mean, one of my favorite moments is is seeing BJ or seeing BJ Raymond like get ready to like go out and take the Centos floor. I mean, he was just fired up, dude. Like just his face, man. I mean, he was just like yelling and freaking out. And just to see that that look on his face and to bring Sister Rose out and seeing him like put the bracket tag on and yelling and screaming, 35-year-old BJ Raymond. Uh it was just so cool. I mean, it added so much more juice. You can just tell. I mean, it's not really a, a thing that's said, but you can just see it on like JP McCure's face. I mean, it's just a different level of energy that, and there's a lot of care there. And you can tell from even a guy like Trayvon Blue, it like there is a, a huge level of care in their legacy and just like that community um, that you can just tell is genuine. Um, even if it's not said, you can you can tell it's tangible. Um, but it was huge, it, and it was one of those things. You know, it stop me if I'm if I'm rambling here. But last year to me was so massive because it was like, all right, we're coming to Centos, we cannot flop. Like th- this first year has to be good. But I also felt like we were kind of behind the eight ball because it was our second season. We I still felt like we were a new TBT kind of franchise or whatever you want to call it. So I was like, we got to knock it out of the park this year. So I was just making – and that's one thing that I think Cap is so valuable for is just getting everybody riled up. Because um, at the end of the day, it is for the fans. But that they're a huge part of that. And I don't know if they know how significant that is. So, it, But I thought it went really well. I didn't think it went perfectly well. They even said I, they felt like we left a little meat on the bone. So I was kind of like, uh, I felt like it was like a 50-50 burger on if they were going to come back. So so when they did, I was incredibly pleased. And I think this is a year that we can kind of like cement it a little bit. All right, let's talk about the roster for this year's team a, a little bit. Who are, I mean, obviously there's some of the returning guys that I think everyone probably saw last year and maybe even the year before a lot of the same guys back. But there's also a few new names that you have this year for the first time, right? Absolutely. Um, so you're going to expect the same core. You got JP and Trey, obviously. What's co- what's cool is we have Mark Lyons coming back, and, and he was such a huge piece in year one. Had an injury last year, so he couldn't play. But yeah, some of the new big pieces, you got hey, Paul by, by the way, with Mark Lyons, this has to feel a little bit more comfortable for him to come back with Sean Miller back at Xavier, right? That's got to be pretty cool for him. I, I think that's why he turned it down last year, to be honest with you. He's like, if Sean ain't there, I ain't coming. Uh, no, it'll be really, really cool. Hopefully he can drag two to, to a game or two. Um, but uh, but no, we added Paul Scruggs, which I think is really, really cool. It'll be his first public basketball since his injury. So kind of a cool redemption arc, you know, kind of cool that it's coming full circle. I mean, he's coming back to Centos Center for his first, first public ball. Have, have you seen him at, have you seen him at all? Like, with workouts or anything have you guys done anything together yet i haven't seen him in person i'm actually picking some guys up today today's uh saturday when we're recording so some guys are flying in and getting ready to to be full-time now going training camp and all that kind of stuff um but i haven't seen him in person i know he's been working out hard i think he's been hanging out with d davis and they've been getting workouts in and stuff um but that's a big piece so that'll be a really really cool story such a cool dude um remy abel a big piece uh, who has, who's been a TBT veteran. I think that's a big piece for us for the winning aspect of things. Cause it's TBT is such a different animal. It's a different beast. So having a guy who's been to the final of it is a, is a, as a veteran is going to be really, really helpful. P- played with sideline for a long time. Um, those are yeah, some side, big- sideline sideline cancer, right? Is the, you might've seen their name. They've won the event a couple times, right? They've gone to the final. They never okay. won it. 
But we actually beat them last year to go to the Sweet 16 of the event, which was an epic game. Uh, Jake McHara hit the big buzzer beater, which was really cool. Um, so those are some of the big new pieces. Um, we'll have Nate Johnson back, guys like that. So so we're really, really excited. I mean, just, oh, James Farr, another another big piece as well. Yeah, I thought James Farr was a, a pretty intriguing new name and kind of uh, a, an era of Xavier basketball. You don't like have, he kind of mixes a couple of eras yeah. together, right? You didn't have a guy d- directly from his years, I don't think. I guess D Davis kind of, but. Uh, yeah, he's kind of like that bridge. So he was what, I think a year in front of D, I think. Yeah, or I think. D, excuse me. Yeah, after. Um, yeah, so it's just a cool collection of groups. I mean, it's just cool to see, like, Nate Johnson on the same floor as Mark Lyons, you know what I mean, and Remy Abel on the same floor. As, you know, it's just a really cool mixture of guys. All right, so let's uh, – I mean, obviously, I understand it's summer alumni basketball, but <laughs> but let's talk about this starting lineup a little bit. Who, who do we go with? I mean, do you, are, are you comfortable giving us your thoughts on who you would start? Yeah, I'll give you my thoughts, and I'm not going to have any impact on who starts or not, but I'll, All right, hey, I would do you, you want me to go first since – I'll go yeah. first since I haven't been around these guys. I don't yeah, know where yeah, they're at in terms of playing. Just looking at the roster based off of what I know, here's what I think I would be going with. Samaj A. Kristen at the point. J.P. McCure at the two. Trayvon Blewett at the three. Kaiser Gates at the four. And James Farr at the five. I think that's a heck of a group. So there's there's six guys I want to fill five spots right now. So for me, I just can't see a way Mark Lyons doesn't start. That was the toughest one for me, too. Yeah. I agree with that. It, that's tough. So if it's me, so here's here's my thought process. I'm putting Mark at the one, putting Samaje at the two. I, you know, I think we're going to have a little, like, two combo guard kind of mentality. You can't have J.P. McCure out of lineup. And here's where it, I think it gets tough. It's like, I think I might put Trayvon at the four, kind of like his Xavier days, and put Karim at the five. Really tough to keep Kaiser out of there. I think a Kaiser death lineup at the five could be really interesting. I, so I thought about that too, but yeah. one thing I have noticed, and maybe I'm wrong in this, you've seen more of the the TBT games than I have, but it seems like having a big guy, a legit big guy yeah. in there that can that is in shape at all, that can run the floor, is a huge advantage. Oh, you're going to get so many leak outs. I mean, you can just catch him sleep and get tons of leak outs, like you said. And like, this is like a dream of mine, and I know we're talking about the current team, but God, could you imagine someday if we get Jalen Reynolds in this thing? <laughs> <laughs> just unlock Devereaux's Jalen, please. <laughs> I mean, like, you know how they have with the NBA 2K and the NBA 2K games now? They have their ratings. Yeah. Like yeah. They, but they can change, right? Like, you can yeah. get a guy who's an 83, but you can get that same guy as a 99. Absolutely. Well, there was Jalen Reynolds for Xavier, and he was like a Jalen Reynolds 86 or an 87, right? right? And then there was Jalen Reynolds and Devereaux, and he was a 99 platinum maxed out whatever. Literally. The Gold Star Hall of Fame. Everything. Yeah. He he was unbelievable. I actually it was funny. I was just going through the uh, YouTube channel, the Musketeer Report YouTube channel, which has like all these old things on it because it's been dormant for years, and I just haven't deleted anything off. Yeah. And one of the videos is Jalen Reynolds in Devereaux's League, like doing a spin move, going coast to coast, doing a spin move around someone at midcourt, and then doing a two hand dunk where he like swings on the rim afterwards. It's just like God. that is exactly how I remember Jalen Reynolds. And just it, and it would be fun to watch him play, but even just the content goldmine that would come out. Yes. Of that. Doing stupid interviews and all the oh my god it'd be so funny, but uh but no I think the death lineup and I think that's one thing that makes Kaiser so huge and we had that with Karim I mean Karim is that kind of guy who can grab the ball off the glass and start a break you know what I mean point center which, which we saw last year it was it was insane how how good a shape is Karim in has he been playing professionally Karim is actually in fantastic shape and that's why I put him at the five because he's just he's crushing it right now he's he's playing really high level ball um last year i think he he and samaje were our co-mvps of the team last year it's funny i actually saw tbt posted like the vegas odds of like who's going to win the mvp of all of tbt this year and Karim was like our only guy on the list and like seventh 
of like all of like the top 20. So like, wow. I, don't, I don't know who's doing those odds. Yeah. Uh, but, but no, Karim's very, very, very good. Uh, Kaiser Gates is another guy that I think people who remember him at Xavier and him kind of never quite amounting to his potential and leaving a year early before he really sure. did get to realize that don't maybe realize what he's been up to since then. And like in the G league, he has been putting up big numbers. He's like the leading three point shooter in the entire league a year ago. Right. Absolutely. I think I saw that he like broke the three point percentage record or something like that in the G league, like something ridiculous. He, he was shooting like 57 or 58% from three. From and he's team. become more athletic since then too. He's like more explosive and dude, you would see his like, high, I, mean, I actually, it's funny. I made him a highlight in year one. I think the next day he said, I can't play anymore, but, uh, <laughs> but, but you would watch his highlight film from the G league and be like, Oh my God. Like he doesn't even seem like the same player. I mean, literally like poster dunks, like, that are that are impressive for NBA players. Um, and he just wasn't doing that kind of stuff at, at Xavier. Um, but no, you're exactly right. And, and last year, I mean, in the first game, I think he had three dunks in two minutes. I mean, he was just Jalen levels of just rocking the rim. Um, the tip dunk, I, I think the uh, the announcer's voice went out after he had that tip dunk. Oh, I forget. Yeah, I remember that tip yeah. dunk. That was crazy. <laughs> like, oh, there's that video of me and Paul Scruggs just losing our absolute minds that TBT <laughs> posted. It, he's he's incredible. Now, who are they going to play in their region at the CentOS Center? Because I know Cincinnati has their alumni team playing at CentOS too. When could they potentially meet up and who else is in the group there? Really good question. So it's a really interesting group. So game one will be against a team called the Georgia Kings, who was a buy-in team. Um, I think I think Zip's going to be a pretty big favorite in that one, to be honest with you, um, to put it lightly. And they would play the winner of the money team, which is the team that Floyd Mayweather runs, and the Nasty Natty team. So uh, you could have a potential alumni shootout in round two. Round three would be the winner of four different teams. There's an ETSU team called the Buccaneers, who actually is, is really, really good. There's a Fort Wayne champs team that Zip Max is going to uh, scrimmage beforehand. And the top team is a uh, is a, an alum or not an alumni team, a foundation team. Uh, they're a, a it's one of I'm, I'm sorry, it's one of those charity ones. I'm blanking, but I know they went to the championship last year. Um, very, they're very, very good. Interesting. Yeah. So with the Cincinnati team. Have you have you looked at all about that potential matchup and like who they've got? Does that intrigue you? Or are you excited about that matchup? I would, Rick. I would do disgusting things to make that matchup happen. I would do absolutely disgusting things to make that happen. I hope that I get to like have that happen and pull like a Travis Steele and bring a bunch of money to Dana's afterwards and and have the whole thing. Um, no, it would be incredible. I, I just wish that it was a guaranteed game so we could like market it correctly and like put months in advance of because I think that if it was, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think if it was like. If we had three months to guarantee that game, I think we could have a chance to sell out Centos, like if we really wanted to. That's what I was curious about. Like, how much do the fan bases care, in your opinion? Not, like, yeah. Cincinnati's definitely hasn't cared as much as Xavier's has about this. Right. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just haven't organized it properly, gotten a good team together. Like, their first couple versions of it were guys from a forgotten era of UC basketball that no one really cares to watch. Now it seems like they're starting to get more of the Mick era guys. Like yeah. I like this year's team, probably their top guys are like Kane broom, Troy Copane, Keith Williams, Jacob Evans. So some pretty good names in there and yeah. some guys that did pretty good things, but I don't know that it's uh, a Jaron Cumberland is another one, a local guy that has some cachet. Yeah. So I'm not their biggest names. I don't think uh, you're not getting a Sean Kilpatrick yet or someone yeah. like that. Maybe he's a little too old for this. I don't know. Potentially. Uh, uh, he's getting up there now, but that's, I guess that's probably what's probably held their enthusiasm back to some extent from a fan base perspective. How do you think it's going right now in terms of the two fan bases of them caring about that matchup potentially happening? 
So I think it's different on both sides. I think just in general, like the UC side, and maybe I'm wrong. I have my own perspective, but the UC side to me just seems to not care about basketball as much. Uh, I think they still care. I think there's still a big group that cares, but it's not what it was in my opinion. Um, now I will say that for zip them up and for nasty natty, I think, it, I think you're talking about two different situations. I think that, and it, and that's one thing that interests me is the, the fans perspective. Cause I'm kind of, it's kind of tough to see the frame or see the picture when you're inside the frame kind of deal. Um, but I think that zip them up, the fans really, really care. I think that they've adopted it. Um, it's at our house. Like it's literally called the Xavier regional. Um, so I, I think that the zip them up, you know, the Xavier fan base really cares. I don't know. I don't know about the, the Cincinnati group. I mean, I watched their game last year when I could, they, they played right before us last year. Um, I watched JP McCure absolutely, you know, have the biggest crap eating grin when they lost. Um, but uh, but they they had a pretty good turnout. I would say it was about one third or one fourth of our turnout. But it was good. But they were loud. The ones that were there were loud. So um, maybe it was just up people yelling against them. But I think that they kind of care. They're like I don't know thirty percent invested, and I think Zip'em Up's pretty pretty invested. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see how well the sales do if that game happens in the second round this year. Because if you guys sold it out for a, a summer alumni game, that would be a pretty incredible atmosphere. It would be nuts, dude. I just, like I said, I think it's going to be tough. I think it'll, you'll get a big spike if it happens. But like I said, I, hopefully someday we can like have it in advance and, and really, really market it correctly. Because could you imagine if we like did this thing right and like got Mick Cronin involved somehow or like just I, went but, all out? Let me be very clear with you. That <laughs> will never happen. Mick Cronin is <laughs> never getting involved with this. <laughs> That's I mean, one, the only thing I can guarantee you about what you will not do. You said at the beginning of this podcast, people tell you, you like you can't do things, you can do anything. The one thing I promise you, I'm accurate <laughs> in telling you, you can't do is getting Mick Cronin involved in this. Remember when he said that on Barstool? Like that was his favorite thing about taking the UCLA jobs. He never has to go back to Cintas ever again. <laughs> I, I forgot. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable how much he cares about that guy. Has the most Cincinnati mindset, like small oh. mindset, out of anyone I've ever met to be at a job like UCLA. He's a prototypical West Sider for sure. <laughs> without without a doubt. Get UCLA in the Big Ten and get a Gavit game on UCLA, please God. Uh, so this is another thing that I love about you. As we're recording this right now, you're just walking around your, it looks like a basement there yeah, somewhere. There it is. Yep. Th- this is, I've seen you do this all the time while you guys podcast. What is, what, what is that? What's your thing? Why do you walk while you talk? Because I'm, I'm a psychopath. I mean, there's, there's too much input. So, I mean, I've got to move around. I got to, it's, it's, once you, it's funny. Once you brought up Mick Crone and I just bounced stuff. And I, I just, saw it. Yeah, it got, it got you go. It's like being in an Aaron Sorkin uh, show. It's like we're doing the walk and talk like we're in West Wing. It's great. It's um, yeah, I just love this stuff. Because that's what, what's cool about the zip stuff is I just genuinely love this stuff. You know what I mean? And that's that's one thing I think is cool. And I hope people see that. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the people. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm like high brass, whatever. Like I'm literally one of the DJs. Like it's it's wild. You brought up the BJ Raymond with Sister Rose moment after one of the games. You brought up a couple of JP things. Yep. Uh, you had the Kaiser tip dunk. What's the best zip them up moment to this point? Oh, man, there, there are definitely a few that stick out. I think for me, there's a Mount Rushmore. I think, uh, I think BJ, the BJ Raymond three that he hit that the Paul Frischner actually took the video and just the whole lower bowl just went absolutely ballistic. I mean, there were people in our DMS, like that was one of the coolest Xavier moments I've ever experienced ever like chills. Like, uh, so that was really, really cool. I, I think seeing like JP McCura chop it up through the Gator chomp with the fans was incredible. Um, Trayvon blew it, hitting that half step back and one three, absolutely. And then just screaming into the crowd. Absolutely insane. Um, and then Mark Lyons had one of the 
most disgusting passes I've ever seen in my entire life. Just this behind the back, you know, no look pass to, to uh, Jeff Robinson. And then Jeff Robinson posterized some dude after working a day job, like literally drove to drove from Indiana after working his day job and caught bodies, bro. I freaking love it. Yeah, I remember I saw him at Mad Tree Brewery, like as you guys were getting ready for it was either right before one of the games or in between them or something like that. And I, I, I asked him, what's up? he's like, oh, yeah, I got to go to work. Like, I, I won't be there tomorrow. <laughs> so I was like, what? He wasn't even like shoot around, like, <laughs> yeah, throw from his day job and cop bodies. Good for him. Uh, what what else? What else is there about Zip em Up or TBT that I, that I haven't addressed that you want to get out there? Is there anything I forgot to hit on or anything you need to promote? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing, Rick, is just wanting to make this happen for the fans. Like, giving us a reason to go out in the summer, go to Cintas, have something. And if you're out of town, have something to watch on TV. I was talking to my guys on the podcast, Kenny and the fellows, and uh, and I was just like, what do people watch in the, in the summer? Like, I had one of my first Saturdays off in forever the other day, and I crack open a beer, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, there's literally nothing to watch. So, to have something like that, to have hoops on all day, or to go to Cintas and have a reason to go to Dana's all day and get – you know, and uh, get hydrated and then walk over to Cintas and, and root on like Trayvon Blue and Jake McCura. It, it's just, I think it's really, really cool personally. So that's kind of always been my perspective is like, if I, you know, from a fan's perspective, what would I want to see going on? And I think it's just a cool like reunion for Xavier basketball, for the culture of Xavier basketball, seeing guys like Adam Baum and Paul Frischner every summer. It's kind of like a Xavier family reunion kind of deal. So, you know, I would just like to see it continue to happen. I hope we crush it this year and, and kind of cement Cintas as a thing, but that's, that's kind of the division. All right, we're going to talk about the current team some too here before we close up this podcast. But you mentioned your podcast, the Roll Blob Podcast and Kenny Freeze. For those who don't know, and we kind of left this out at the beginning when we were talking about your backstory and what you do, part of the Xavier content you've been doing, along with all the memes and the burner accounts on Twitter <laughs> and everything else, is you guys have done a, a podcast intermittently for a few years now called the Roll Blob Podcast. And I've always told you, I'm a fan of it. I listen to everyone you put out. That's and, wild. And here's why I like it. Because there have been multiple other people that have tried to do like another Xavier podcast in addition to the one Dan and I started years ago. And I don't mind anyone else doing their own thing. But doing another version of what we're doing just worse, reciting the same things I reported somewhere and just doing it worse isn't interesting to me. Like, no offense, like you're not coming, you're not bringing anything of your own. You guys, and I don't, you might not like this because a lot of people have a negative connotation with the brand, but like, you guys kind of have a barstool sports approach to it. In other words, you're talking about Xavier basketball, but you're doing so in a funny way and in an irreverent yeah. way. You might be doing like Space Jam introductions during an episode or something to go along with. Like you do something that's entertaining and different and unique. And it's also within the Xavier basketball world. And I think that's cool. I think there's not enough people doing things like that regardless of what the, the niche is. It doesn't have to be Xavier basketball related. There just aren't enough people who do creative, unique things. You guys are doing that with this podcast, so I've always appreciated that. But within the last, I don't know, handful of months, there's been this interesting wrinkle where <laughs> Kenny Freeze, the former big man for Xavier, one of the highest rated recruits in program history, has decided to like start jumping into... First, it was like spaces with you guys, I think. And then yep. he was just like, I actually just want to podcast with you, right? Is that, is that explain to me the Kenny Freeze Dude. relationship and how you've brought him into the fold now? Insane. So, this just blows my mind that this is even a thing. Uh, just the we're living in the ideal timeline here, Rick. But anyway, so we asked him to just jump on a podcast with us. We reached out to him. Uh, his, his Twitter bio says thousands, you know, tallest guy in the world. And, and Coop ended up kind of sparking up a little, you know, DM conversation with him. And he's like, yeah, I'll jump on, whatever. And after the interview, we're like, man, that I don't think he was feeling this at all. Like, we'll probably never have Kenny on ever again. 
And then he calls, he like, he texts to like the group that we were talking to. And he's like, Hey, can you guys jump on a quick, quick call real quick? And we're like, yeah, Kenny, what's up? And he was like, he's like, guys, I'm thinking about something. And we're like, what? He's like, I want to see if you guys will have me on the podcast, like full time. Like I want to do it with you guys. We were like, we logged off and me, Andy and Coop were like, what the actual <laughs> heck just happened? Kenny Freeze wants to go full time on the pod with us. And then before you know it, we're just doing like weekly meetings and just kind of like talking shop and talking about what we want to do. And Kenny's just talking about wanting to be on campus and sell shirts and be around and all this kind of fun stuff. And we're just like, Kenny, this is nuts, man. Uh, so, it, and then what's crazy is like the street 16, like Kenny comes down. He's like, he's like, cap, we got to kick it. He's like, we're, we're shutting down the house of orange. And, and before I know it, dude, like I invite my family out or whatever. And, and I'm just chopping it up with like Redford and wheeze and Kenny and, and like Johnny Mazza's there. Like, I'm just like, what the heck? And like, Kenny just keeps being like, Cap, Cap, we got to get a picture. Come on, Cap. And I'm like, I'm just some degenerate. And Kenny's just like dragging me into like all these like real circles of stuff. I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> so, and then just seeing Kenny in my car was absolutely hilarious. Um, just, it's just wild. Kenny Freeze and Cap would be the best buddy cop show that I can think <laughs> of. I mean, two, two humans that just look like they have absolutely nothing in common. Oh my, I posted a picture on my Instagram and it's just like, God, that is a big human being. Like He's just a big human being. Yeah, so, it's really cool. He told me, so he's told me he's going to be, he's going to be around for zip off stuff. Like, and he's like, dude, I'm just going to like handcuff myself to you and just wherever you are, Kenny's going to be there too. So I'm not going to be hard to find if, uh, if you're at TBT. So you guys have had more production meetings. It sounds like than actual podcast in the entire history of the show. So what, like what, <laughs> what is the plan in terms of putting out more content? Are you guys like going to, do you have an idea of what you're doing going into the season with Kenny or? Yeah. So we, like when we had Kenny on, so kind of the mentality is like, and this, what you said was completely on point. Like with Andy Coop and I, like, we're like, we don't want to be Musketeer Report with all, I love Musketeer Report. I, like it literally is the only podcast where I'll shut down whatever I'm doing to listen to a new podcast. Yeah. But, uh, but let's say, not, like, like, here's the thing people don't, it is not fun to sit there and talk about like, uh, right. what the starting lineup or what defense or Who the time efficiency numbers yeah. for the 10th time. Like everyone's already doing it. It's not like, I don't enjoy doing it for that much to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm like, just listen to Rick for that stuff. Like that's, we're going to do it way. Like you said, we would do it way worse than you anyway. Like who wants to hear a worse echo of what you're already hearing. So I, I just don't think it's, it's like you said, I don't think it's, it's inviting at all. I don't think that's interesting at all, to be honest with you. So, uh, so with Kenny, like we just wanted to like kind of make sure that it was up to snuff for him. Cause if like, cause he actually has a name he has to care about. Um, so we just been kind of like working on like a rebrand and just a mentality and just a, uh, just a strategy. So, so it's going to be like a little bit more buttoned up. I think, I think we're going to do kind of like a, uh, like a roll blob after dark, which is like just me, Andy and, and Coop being stupid. And then we'll have one with, with Kenny who actually talk basketball and we'll, you know, get him off the rails and joke about Pokemon cards and stuff. So are you uh, thinking like once a weekish or just as, as you feel you sure. have time or what? Yeah, I think we're probably going to end up doing two a week. I think we're going to end up doing like a normal one, like a normal just like weekly what's going on. Kenny will kind of talk talk shop and, you know, we'll still be goofy and stuff. But and I think we'll do another one that later in that week where Andy Coop and I can just be our, you know, genuine stupid selves. What's it like talking basketball with Kenny Freeze? Like, are you getting are you getting some good insights from him? Are you hearing interesting Dude, Sean Miller stuff? Are you that's hearing such a like, good question? That's such a good question, because like we'll be talking about something normal. And then he'll just bring up like a story about two Holloway. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, and I'm just like, stop the presses. Like, keep this thing going. Like, and, and like, I feel bad because I don't want to like bug him and pester him about the old days or whatever. But he is just a treasure trove of stories, dude, from like such an interesting era. So like, he'll just randomly start talking about the brawl. And I'm like, this is gold. Like, like so it's just one of those things. So, okay. Where, all right. All right. Hold on. Well, you just had one of those moments. So you've talked, to, talked about the brawl with him. Yes. 
So what's he give us? What's he, I mean, I should probably have Kenny on to do this too, or maybe you I'll come on your podcast. We can talk about it, but cause I'm interested. Yeah. But what does he say about the brawl? Oh, he just, he, he loved it. He's like, dude, this is all. He's like, this was awesome. He like, he's like, he's like, I was happy to just take, like, he's like, I hated you. See, he's like, he loved it. Like, that's what's wild. It's like, do you remember when, uh, you know, the JP Mick thing and like Chad Brendan was on your podcast. I remember this sound by very well. He's like, JP had the biggest shit eating grin on his face after he got Mick. And that's just Kenny. Look, Kenny was just like, I loved it. You know what I mean? I, I loved mixing it up. It was great. He's like, he's like, I wanted to, he's like, I wanted to fight him. It was awesome. <laughs> that's outstanding. All right. Well, I, I mean, I, that's yeah, it's all interesting. I'm anxious to see what you guys do this year with that podcast, because like I said, I've, I've listened to it in the past. I know it's tough to keep momentum when you're all working regular jobs and it's not sure. what you do normally, but it seems like Kenny really breathed some new life into what you guys are trying to do with that. I'm anxious to see where you take it. So I'll be, I'll be tuned in when the season gets going this year, for sure. Appreciate it. Kenny's a gold mine. He's a, uh, he's, he's a content gold mine. All right. So talk about this year's team a little bit. We did have the 23, uh, 24 non-conference schedule release this week. Xavier announced it officially. We knew all the games that were going to be played already. If you had been following the, uh, the, the, any, any, the team at all this off season, we we've had it on the message board and on social media, but we, we now know when all the games are going to be played and, and how the whole schedule sets up. So um, what what were your thoughts on the actual schedule this year? I've seen a lot of mixed mixed reviews in terms of what fans are thinking, whether they, they feel like it's a good schedule, a tough schedule, too easy. What I, It seems like ever since Xavier has joined the Big East, obviously scheduling has had to change since then, and some fans have had trouble getting acclimated to that. Sure. I mean, you have 20 big East games, Rick. So like, I'm personally very happy with it. To be honest with you, I think you got a couple of really cool litmus test games. I think the Houston game is really interesting. Um, you're playing against the entire Bahamas, which is freaking wild. Uh, <laughs> I just going to jump Island Islander. Oh, I don't know. Whatever. But uh, no, I think it's good. I mean, and when you play 20 big East games and you have this many new pieces, like this is almost an entirely new roster. So in my opinion, I think it's good. I mean, to get just to get acclimated with each other. I, I think you would hate to have some really strong games in the first like game or two or three and you just get your doors blown off because your team's not ready. You know, so I personally don't have a big issue with it. I uh, love the Houston matchup. Sent, uh, cross down on a Saturday is fantastic. Um, and I really I'm, I'm not a huge schedule guy, to be honest with you, Rick. I'm kind of a you know, we're going to play, we're going to play and let's just beat them kind of, kind of guy. Um, well, well and, and once you're in the big East, you have the luxury to be that way. Like, you know, your exactly. schedule is going to be good every year. You know, you're going to see great basketball at the Centos every year. So it's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see some fun games in a non-conference just for the sake of keeping it interesting, but it's not like the a 10 where, you know, you're going to sit through a month and a half of Charlotte, Duquesne and Fordham coming to the Centos center. And you're worried like, Matt, we better squeeze in a couple of really great games in the non-conference schedule. And hopefully one of them are at home so we can see them in person. It's just, it's a different world now. Totally agree. Are you intrigued by any of the matchups in the continental tire event? Well, first of all, let me just say, it's going to be the greatest event in the history of college basketball. Uh, last time Paul Fritchner and I talked about it, one of the fans on the message board got mad at me for not giving it its props. So let me get that out of the way. I think it's the greatest event in history. I think that's one of the issues with this year's schedule from a fan's perspective. The people who aren't as excited are seeing that event. And like last year, you had the opportunity to play some big names. You had Duke, right? I mean, th- that's that's pretty exciting. Gonzaga, you know, yeah. like you've got some big time games there. And this year you look up and you see names like San Diego State and St. Mary's and Washington. And that doesn't seem great from a brand perspective. And Washington is not a good program, obviously. But St. Mary's and San Diego State are both, one, teams that are going to be good this year. But two, they're teams that 
just did something last year. So they do have a little bit of juice right now. So I actually think that's a, a pretty solid event in terms of basketball. Maybe it doesn't have the normal name brand fun sure. aspect of it, but uh, but those teams are, are solid basketball teams. And then having a game against Houston and Purdue, in my opinion, it doesn't get much better than that from the, the Gavit games and Big 12 challenge game perspective. Completely agree. I mean, and that's one thing my, that one of my gripes with Xavier fans is I feel like we'll just complain about anything. It's like, like you guys are tired of playing Wisconsin and now we don't have to play Wisconsin anymore. We still want to complain. Like you can't get a better matchup than Purdue, in my opinion. I agree. I mean, the, the Purdue matchup's great because it's a huge name brand. It's a regional brand that people yeah. like kind of care about locally. There will be some going back and forth. You have a bit of a history with Purdue. Exactly. There was a era where, you know, they were playing each other a little bit more back uh, when I was in uh, middle school, I, yeah. I feel like. Um, I actually went to a game. I remember Obi Harris. Do you remember Obi Harris? When I do. Yeah, he was one of his first games with the team was randomly like a neutral site game against Purdue, I want to say. Yeah. I, I went to it with uh, Joe Danman from Fox 19. His mom took me and his little brother to this game. I, I saw it was like one of Obi Harris's first games against yeah. Purdue. And and I, rem- I remember vividly him checking in the game and Mrs. Danim and Joe's mom being like, all right, let's see what this big boy can do. <laughs> <laughs> it just always stuck with me because Obi Harris, that was like the only thing he did was check into that game. Basically he never, his Pretty career much. never really worked out. Shout out to Obi Harris, but it's shout out to Obi Harris. And wasn't the, wasn't Purdue the, uh, the two Holloway legendary comeback game. Too? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And then you beat Purdue when you were down big, if I remember correctly, to I think go to the Sweet 16 with CJ Anderson, if I'm not mistaken. I think I think that might have been your middle school days. I think that we were playing Purdue in the second round. I think they were pretty highly seeded, and I think we were down like 12 to 2 to start that game or something like that and came back and won. So, yeah, there's definitely a cool history, in my opinion, with Purdue. And that, that program is going to be, you know, what are they going to be, the more in the country? Yeah, but you also feel like if, if you're going to play a, a team that could be top, 10, whatever, top 15, whatever number you want to assign to that. When you're playing a top team in the country, Purdue's one you feel like, Sean Miller can outcoach these guys. We 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 can yeah. we can potentially put together something that'll take these big guys out of it and give them trouble. I mean, they returned seven foot four Zach Eady, but you right. saw at the end of last year in the NCAA tournament, there are ways to beat that team, even with a seven foot four center in there. I feel like the narrative of Purdue is they're like highly ranked, but they're kind of like the fraud. Kind of that's kind of I think they're trying to fight that off right now. Yeah, definitely 100%. They have the the connotation that they can't win the big one or at least win in the tournament. So Which might be bad. They might be on a revenge tour this year, but uh but it's a it's a fun matchup and then if anything I feel like they gave Xavier too much respect by giving us Houston. That's I mean, granted granted Houston has some things they need to figure out this year, but he hasn't gotten it wrong in how long? I mean, Kelvin Sampson has just reloaded year after year now for over a decade. I'm not going to bet against him. No, I, th- ever since they joined the American, he's had that thing rolling, rolling on an ideal level. Yeah, absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, Crosstown shootout this year. Yeah. Is, this, is this a big year for the Crosstown shootout? I, I Like, I've been kind of holding this one back because it's so far away, but I'm m- my lukewarm take is that this is a big year for the Crosstown shootout. Yeah, I think we're, we're on luster watch, I think. <laughs> you're worried about you're worried about it losing yeah i am <laughs> no i'm just kidding um but do you see fans care anymore well they've de- i mean they've gone I mean, they care but are they, they gonna- care more than they ever have in a way i think because they've completely lost their minds with xavier fans like oh they're I, crumbling yeah they've they've wanted to like quit the shootout they've won yeah uh, they are done with it because they haven't won exactly and that's why i say I feel, home. Yeah. I feel like it's big because we are entering into like you can't win at Cintas Center Dayton levels for UC. You know, we're going to start right. naming president administrations and stuff if they don't win here in the next year or two. Love that. Xavier 
is in a rebuilding year this year to some extent. I mean, mm-hmm. the, last year they kind of kept the core together in Sean Miller's first year. This year they had to really overhaul the roster. They got a lot of new pieces coming in. Obviously, you still have some returners with Desmond Claude and Zach Fremantle and uh, hopefully Jerome Hunter. But it, it's it's a group that it feels like they're kind of ripe for the picking if UC is going to win a game at Centos Center. Now, UC had to reshape their roster through the transfer portal too, and it's anyone's guess how good they're going to be this year. I think they're better than last year, but I don't know how much. It just feels a lot like to me, if UC does not win this year's crosstown shootout, when do they beat Zay? I mean, like it's Wes Miller. And I don't know that you feel good about Wes Miller ever beating Sean Miller again. If he can't this year at the Centos center. And then if they move on from Wes Miller at some point, then it's like, they're still, so it's, it could be several more years before they ever went at the Centos center again, if they don't win this year. I agree. And I don't want to jinx it or anything, but like you could be looking at like, you've seen like the the all time record or whatever. And you see like in the seventies, it's just like red, like 12 times in a row, whatever the heck it was. It's just like, we could have a run. I mean, to win four in a row in this era and then be going to Cintas. And like you said, I feel like the more time that Sean has at Xavier, the stronger it's going to become. And it's going to be exponential in my opinion. Um, I, I completely agree. And I think, and it's like every rivalry needs one. I mean, at, at some point, you know what I mean? But I agree with you. If it's not this year, it's tough. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not saying Cincinnati is going to win. Or I think they will win, right. but there, there is something to be said for like the rivalry almost needs Cincinnati to win this year's game or for it to be like a hell of a game. If Xavier beats them by 15 this year at Centaur Center, you see, you're right. You see fans are done. Like they're just like, well, we don't care anymore. We I'm do not care ball, about the now. I hate this game. We're yeah. just big 12 guys now. I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. We only, we, yeah. we didn't come here to play basketball. We came here to play football. Yeah. Shout to Scott Satterfield. Thanks. Uh, all right. Who out of the newcomers are you most excited to see freshmen or transfers? There's so many of them now in this new era of college basketball. You have four incoming freshmen. You got four incoming transfers oh, this year and you got four returning players. Gives you 12. You got one open scholarship spot still that I think they will try to fill here in the next few weeks. So wow. w- what do you think about the, the newcomers, freshman transfers? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of overwhelming because there's so many. Um, I, to be honest with you, the first one that pops off the page is Trey Green. Like, I, I feel like I've seen a vision of the future where he's like a pseudo, like too hot. I just, I love his game. Absolutely love his game. I think he's everything you can want in a point guard. Heady, they're going to love him. He shoots great free throws, can shoot the absolute lights out. I just think he's going to be fantastic. So Trey Green, I'm very excited for. I think he'll have a strong freshman year. Uh, I think it's Quincy, man. I, I think oh, – can you pronounce the last name for me? I forgot. Oliveri. Oliveri. All right. I didn't want to butcher it. It was a 50-50 burger. <laughs> um, I think he's awesome. I mean, you can just tell his personality is so cool. Like, I think he could be a guy that's like a galvanizing guy for fans to kind of flock to. So those are the two that stick out to me. Yeah, it's uh, – listening to – some people around the program, I haven't seen any workouts yet. Those things are locked down pretty tight, but right. I have talked to people in the program who have been watching these guys and uh, that both of those names when I've asked, because here, here's, and this is maybe a good insight from when I post, like I just posted this week, some notes on workouts on the message board. Yeah. And I get oftentimes get questions like, oh, no mention of so-and-so. I wonder how so-and-so is <laughs> doing. And it's like, guys, understand that if I go to someone inside the program right now and I ask, hey, how's X person doing? How's, you know, Jason Meyer doing right now in workouts. Yeah. He's doing great. Right. Like no one's doing bad in summer workouts. Right. And this time of year, no one inside the program is going to be taking shots at somebody because they're bad. Right. So like type of questions I ask when I'm trying to get information are who's been the best shooter in practice. Love that. Who's really standing out to you. Who's, who's been the, who looks the most athletic on this year's team. You know, like things like questions like that. Give me superlatives. Who really stands out to you? Because then people will tell you what they really think about what they're seeing. And when I've asked, like, who's the best shooters? There's only been two names. I haven't gotten anything but Quincy Oliveri 
And he's been pretty much everyone's answer. Wow. But a lot of people, it while saying that, have also chimed in. Trey Green's been pretty damn good. Like, Trey Green can really shoot the ball. So those two guys have been the two names that I've heard. When I ask about best shooters in the program, those are the two names that keep coming back up. So, And, and just from a personal standpoint, you were mentioned how much you love Trey Green's game. I feel the exact same way. I can't get enough of what, like not only is he fun because of the way he plays, he's small, he's quick, he handles it and he shoots tough threes, yeah. but he's also just got this like insane confidence and the proverbial dog in him, if you will. <laughs> uh, he's just, he's just got this, like I'm at your neck all game attitude, right? Like I'm not backing down from anything. I'm going to be in your face and you're going to have to deal with me all game long. And I, I love seeing guys who play that way. And I feel like those guys more often than not have a better chance to work out than the guys who you have to draw that out of them. Totally agree. He seems like a prototypical Xavier point guard, Sean Miller point guard, in my opinion. I'm so excited to watch him play. Yeah. I would would agree. What would be your biggest takeaway, you know, of your vibe currently that maybe stands out for the newcomers or just for the team in general? Um, For the newcomers, I think it would be that uh, Quincy, how, how yeah. high people seem to be on Quincy, not only from the three-point shooting aspect, which I think is hugely important to this year's roster, that he is a great shooter and a guy that can give you four, five, six, three attempts every game and shoot 35-plus percent. Like, to me, that he has to be that type of guy for this year's team for them to play offensively at a really high level like they did last year. For the team as a whole, I'll say I think I'm I'm to the point where I'm starting to get a little bit concerned about the, the front court. And I've always been concerned about the front court since – this offseason started like I just look, you're you, you got rid of Jack Nungy. You saw last year that Zach Fremantle probably isn't ideal at the center position. He seemed to be better at the forward spot. You give up a lot defensively when you have to play him at the five. And then when they brought in replacements, I mean, you can go back and read the impact articles, but I, I don't think yeah. Abu Usman is like a guy you throw the ball into and run your offense through him. He's not going to be a Jack Nungy offensive type piece. He's more physical, but just very different in terms of his offense. And then Logan Duncombe, I mean, Let's face it, he just really hasn't done anything yet in his college career, so it's hard to uh, count on him if right. you're going to try to expect to get a lot of minutes out of him this year. So Kashi Enze, the incoming freshman, is a project, and I've heard some positive things about him so far, but it's also like who knows how long that development process is going to be to where he can give you more than 10 minutes in a game, right? So I think that's probably where I'm at. And the fact that now as I'm asking people about this, like, hey, who's standing out? Who looks good? I'm not hearing a lot about the bigs. And when I have, it's been more about Kashienze. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of where if I'm looking for what's what's my early vibe on this team, it's that I feel like the guards are definitely ahead of the bigs right now. And there is some concern about do they have enough firepower in the front court or are they going to have to go Zach Fremantle at the five more often and slide everybody down a spot and play a little bit more small ball, which I don't think is the end of the world. I think it, it makes you pretty tough to guard on offense. But defensively and rebounding and toughness, you might be giving something up if that's the case. But there is also the fact that there's an open scholarship left. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if they use that open scholarship to try to add some more front court depth. Now, are you going to be able to get a difference maker and a guy who gives you 15 minutes a game or something this time of year? I don't know. That's that's hard to imagine, but uh, I still wouldn't be surprised if they tried to add some more depth at that spot. You don't think they're going to poach anybody from uh, from the Huggins fallout? I don't think so. I mean, I, I saw recently that they got involved with Jose Perez, uh, who is one of the transfers from West Virginia. I I don't see it happening, and I think that's probably the last name. I was kind of just yanking your chain, to be honest with you. Oh, well, <laughs> there's been three different names that they've been involved with from there, so it's not like an absurd Yeah, I wasn't question. expecting a real answer, but that was actually kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. where do you, Where's the funniest place for Huggins to end up? I mean, is it is UC oh. is probably... 
But Skinny Skinny brought this point up on our podcast this week. What if he ended up at Marshall like a year from now? Oh my God. In the state, being able to recruit and fundraise and piss off all the West Virginia people that still wanted him that might now become Marshall fans. So there's a couple. Didn't he start at Kent State? I think that's right. That it would just kind of be cool to see him just go to like a random Ohio school and just have a reason to play Bob Huggins. You know what I mean? Do you do you think he's definitely coming back at some point? No. Really? No. I, I didn't until this whole lawsuit thing happened. And now yeah. I'm like, oh man, he's not there, there's still more. I don't think he can let it go. And and granted, this is probably more about a lawsuit and trying to get money out of West Virginia or whatever. Yeah. But th- he can't let it go. I don't think, I, I don't think he's going to be able to go off quietly into the sunset and just be retired. I, I think he's going to die in a gym somewhere. And that may be like the Billy Clyde Gillespie move and go coach a Juco or a D three or something. If, if yep. no one wants him, but Bob Huggins is a damn good coach and a DUI in this day and age isn't too much to overcome. I don't think if we're talking about winning a bunch of basketball games, I, I think someone will give him another chance. I mean, look at beard. Yeah. Look at the Chris beard situation. Didn't take long at all for him to get hired again. It's all about winning, baby. Yeah. Just win, baby, win. It wouldn't surprise me if he's coaching somewhere else in the next two years. What do you think as far as like how much he's burned his stock? Like what do you think that the, like the marketability is? You would think it would be bad. But again, if we're talking about a guy who can win you as many games as anybody in college basketball at the head coaching job right now, I mean, seriously, how many coaches are you putting ahead of Bob Huggins at this point? I mean, the list is very short, very short. Most of the top coaches have gotten out of the sport within the last five years. So, I mean, we're looking for new kind of guys to step in. Sean Miller's up towards the top of that list at this point, without a doubt. So it's like, I, I I think Bob Huggins is definitely still, he's, he might be losing it a little bit. And there's definitely some concerns about his personality and what he might do off the floor, but he's been a coach for a long time. And these two incidents, I don't think it's enough to, to keep him from getting another job if he wants one. Here's what I think the big narrative is now, Rick. I think what Huggins has to do is prove himself in sensitivity training that he is a change. I think it's all about sensitivity training right now. How does that go? I think that's the big narrative. I actually, in some weird way, think the DUI, if you're, <laughs> if he's trying to get another job, the DUI was kind of good because it made people forget about the homophobic stuff. And yeah. that the homophobic stuff is harder for him to get another job with than the, the DUI without a question in today's climate. Yeah, I think the DUI by itself is whatever, right? Not a big deal. It's just his yeah. history with drinking that's the issue. I think it's just the narrative. Well, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me rephrase that. What he did driving as drunk as he was is a big deal. I don't I don't I don't yeah. think it's not a big deal. But what I'm saying is for a guy trying to get another head coaching job in major division one athletics, that's all we're talking about. It yeah. won't stop him. Right. That's all that we're talking about is his marketability to get another job. Right. Um, but, uh, but, but I think that the narrative is that he's off the ledge at this point. So, but, but here's, Maybe. but I'm not in an athletic office that needs to win games. So, um, hard to say, but, but like you said, someone could give him a chance. Like there's gotta be one athletic department. Like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Look at the upside versus the downside here. Right. Like when skinny said Marshall at first, like I kind of gave it a laugh, but then I'm kind of like, wait, that's not, not that's crazy. Not, <laughs> that's not crazy. And if we go like a level or two below that, like think whatever regional school in the mountains, to Ohio, somewhere in that like Appalachia Valley, yeah, area, they'll take Huggins, and I mean, he will yeah. win. He's not going to get a job in California, but like, there's got to be some some country uh, athletic staff. You know what? Let's give him a try. Let's give yeah. old Bobby another shot. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he, he's done. Um, any anything else you got with this this year's team? Any questions you have for me, or anything you want to talk about? I want to think what 
I'm interested to hear what you think a realistic outcome is this season. Uh, what do you think the expectation could be or should be? That's yeah. Tur- that, tournament team. I think the the expectation for this year's team should be very similar to the expectation we had going into last year. I think. And, I agree. But but remember, but remember, expectations going into last year were way lower than they were midway through the season last year. All of a sudden it became like, no, we're good and we want to win it all now. But yeah. like before the year started, a lot of people told me they'd be content with just getting back into the tournament and they'd be fine with that. Like nine yeah, seed, 10 seed, I don't care. Just get us in the tournament. I would have took it and run last year. Right. So I think that's, to me, this is a bubble team again. I think this year's roster is way worse than last year's in terms of having to put everything together. Cause like the talent isn't crazy different, but you knew everyone knew each other. They knew how to work. Granted, you're doing a new system and everything, but you're not implementing your three new best players, right? Like, like last year you had Colby Jones and Zach Fremantle and, and whoever else you want to throw in there. Like Adam Kunkel is going to be a major factor. Obviously Jerome Hunter stepped up, but like you knew the core group of guys this year. It's like, okay, Zach Fremantle is going to be a big piece. Desmond Claude, we really need you to step up and become a different player from who you were last year. It's great that you were here last year, but you got to be totally different. And then it's like, okay, Davion McKnight, are you going to be our leading scorer? Like, are you going to step in that Sule Boom role? Big wild card. Yep. Yeah. So, so there's there's just a lot of moving pieces for this year, and you're asking a lot of guys to either take a major step up from the mid major level to the high major level, or asking a guy like Desmond Claude to be okay. You were a freshman last year, you had a, a nice little season, but we need you to be a totally different player this year. A lot of moving pieces. So I would say the bubble and just get into the tournament should be like the high level of the expectations. If you get into the tournament, I would be I'd be very very happy. But but at the same time too, though, it's like. Look what Sean did last year with Sule Boom. Like, I, I think that's something I'm interested to see is, like, what are these guards going to do? Is this something that is just going to be a year-in-year-out thing? Like, Sean just gets a guard that's all Big East level. He's been so good at finding the right guards for him in the transfer portal. Guys that work with his mentality, the way he likes to run his teams, and also that fit within his system. And that system has changed a little bit over the years, obviously, to what it is now. But Sule was a perfect fit. He did that multiple times at Arizona while he was there finding a, a transfer portal point guard. Started with T, uh, Mark Lyons and TJ McConnell and those guys, but he just kept bringing them in there when when their original guy that they had recruited maybe didn't work out. And you're right. I mean, Sule was perfect last year. Could Davion McKnight be that same type of player? He had a really good year from a scoring perspective last year at Western Kentucky. Their team didn't win a whole lot. Can he put up those types of numbers on a winning team at the high major level? If so then yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe this team will overachieve more than we're expecting because Sean Miller can freaking coach. There's just, there's no doubt about that. And there is like an angel and devil on my shoulder. There's like one part of me saying like, you know what, be realistic. You know, you're throwing a bunch of new pieces together. You know, if you make a tournament, that's probably a good scenario. And there's another part of me that's like, you've never had at Xavier, in my opinion, a coach with the prestige that Sean Miller currently has. Like you would think that the resources that this program is in, like where we are in the Big East, just got out of the Sweet 16, where Sean Miller is as a head coach, like, the expectation should be pretty high year in and year out at this point. Yeah, and I think you're like, let's say this year goes well and they're uh, eight or nine seed in the tournament. They make the tournament. They win a game or whatever. After yeah. this year, I, I don't think you ever have expectations this low for a, for a, a long time with Sean Miller. Yeah it's, yeah, it's hard to imagine his roster being in this type of position again. Now, the transfer portal has changed things a little bit. I think that'll settle down some when we don't have the COVID years and everybody right. transferring two, three times. Um, but uh, yeah, I think with the, the way he he's, he'll be able to stabilize the roster going forward, you won't see him having to replace 
basically a whole team again. And at that point, with the way he's coaching, with this offensive system that he's running now, I, you're right. I, like, I don't think the expectations are ever this low again, potentially, as long as Sean Miller is here. It honestly could be, and I said this to Andy like a million times. It just blows my mind, like where I think of. I just think that Xavier like hit the mother load, like literally a, a lottery scenario of where Sean had to be to come back and how things have played out, and the fact that his sanctions are essentially at this point he's scot free at this point. Um, I just think that Xavier kind of like lightning struck on this current situation. It's impossibly lucky for it all to play out, yeah. and like and like you know. I, don't want to get into this too much, but Xavier fans love to act like what's well, like, well, we had four years of suffering. It's like you were in the middle of the Big East. Like Georgetown <laughs> didn't win a game for multiple <laughs> years. <laughs> and you, you guys are like, oh, we were, we're in this turmoil. It's like you're in contention all four of those years. Like you had a chance every single year to make the tournament. Like, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. It's obviously not what Xavier fans want. But like to act like the, the program t- torpedoed and you were in the basement is yeah. just not true. It's actually like four years that were kind of fun because you're in contention every single year. And then. Now you just got the most ideal possible situation that you could have ever imagined under right. any circumstances. Like this, like you said, and, and what's funny is objectively, I completely agree with what you just said, but the fan part of me was absolutely freaking miserable for those four years. I get absolutely it. miserable, bro. I, I, I wish you could see the look on my face. I forget that one year we were playing Butler, I think, and we have, all we had to do was win. And just watching Jason Carter shoot like seven shots over the last like five minutes, I don't think I've ever been more emotionless in my entire life. I, I remember seeing you like drink shots of hot sauce or something for those teams. Tears streaming down my face. I was just absolutely soulless. Like it, worse than the Wisconsin shot. I mean, I was just absolutely soulless at that time. It was horrible. I get it. Look, I'm not saying it was fun. I understand that. But like, it's also hilarious no. to listen to the stories about it. Like, yeah, we yeah. we went through it. And it's like, well, I mean, look around the rest of the yeah. conference. There are a few teams that were uh, <laughs> like, going through it a little bit more. And they haven't had this, this swing up since then. Like there's definitely levels of this shit. Imagine being Georgetown for the last five years. Like Something. just. And, they- and by the way, like, it's great that they've got Ed Cooley, but that's not necessarily a guarantee yet. And yeah, do a lot of work. There's a yeah. lot of, can we yeah. touch, touch on the big East real quick and maybe not even for this year, but where it could be in two or three years when Patino and Cooley get going. I think the big East is in a, in an incredible position right now. It is now the Yukon factor, like Yukon uh-huh. potentially looking to leave makes it a little bit different because Agreed. getting Yukon back and having, Hurley get them to where he, I mean, winning national championship, obviously, but like having him restore them immediately once they were in the back big East, that was a big deal for this conference. Like, yeah, this conference has some heavy hitters all of a sudden when you look yeah. at the, the coaching staffs, even without Jay Wright. And now if UConn leaves, you're, you're, you're down one of those again. So that, that would stink, but you're right. I mean, the, getting Georgetown back on track with Ed Cooley would really be big for the conference, I think. That's just such a national brand that you, you need Georgetown to be good in the Big East. Yeah, and that's just reality. And I don't think that the Butlers and the Creightons and the Zabers want to hear that kind of stuff. But, like, St. John's being good with Rick Pitino is massive. Like, they would be one of the top watches in all of college basketball. And St. John's will be good. Like, that's that's a done deal already. I hate okay. to tell you guys this if you don't want them to be, but, like, St. John's with Rick Pitino is going to be good. Have you bought stock into the, the New York strip club scene or – no, no, I don't. I, I mean, like, I can't imagine Rick is going out to just normal New York strip clubs. I, I got to imagine he's got a service that he's using Eyebrow. at this point. Yeah. Like yeah. a gold club. I wonder if he's going to have like a garage in Carnesecca or something. I, I hope he has like a, like a whole like mafia room or something in Carnesecca, like some, uh, some real gangster movie type stuff. Hopefully. Yeah. I would love what to just we- drink red wine, eat chicken parm with Rick Patino one time. Oh, I do. 
give me all the gobble man. All the gobble with Rick Patino. No, the Biggie's tournament is going to be insane. Um, what have we not touched on? I mean, obviously, well, I really don't care to, to divulge in the Den Jerome stuff. Obviously, what are we going to say? We wish him the absolute best. It's all health related stuff. Um, yeah. Well, we are you watching? Uh, MB- are you watching NBA Summer League at all? I've been keeping track of it. To be honest with you, with how busy Zip has been, I've kind of been out of the loop. But it seems like Colby's stock is absolutely on fire. Yeah. What do you think about him as an as an NBA guy? You think he's going to fit in? I think he's the kind of guy who's going to be good, not great for quite some time. And it seems like he's the kind of guy that will play a role. Yeah, I think that the mind is there. And I think in the NBA, it's so much about carving out roles and are you willing to do, you know, the winning stuff. And I think that's one thing we've seen from Najee is, you know, he's not going to be a superstar in the NBA, but is he, is he willing to do the stuff that's going to help the team win? And I think Colby's one of those guys that will. I think he, he gets that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think he's going to last in the NBA. I'd say he's going to have a good eight-year productive career of, you know, being a seventh, eight six seventh man if i had to guess the one thing i've noticed is you go back to his college days and probably his best move or shot that he had on the offensive end was that floater runner combo that he likes to do from all different angles and all different depths but the one thing in college is the lanes are so much more tightly packed there's so many more bodies in the way i've noticed in the nba with the three-point line being deeper and and you having to stay matched to your man a whole lot more you can't sag off as much He's really taking advantage of all that extra space. He's getting longer closeouts. He's really using nice head fake, getting the lane. And then when he gets to that mid-range with all that space, it's like he's shooting a really high percentage on those mid-range shots right now. And I'm like, that's – I know people don't love the mid-range shot in today's basketball era, but those runners and floaters, I feel like he could shoot about a 65 70% clip if he keeps getting all that room to shoot them. Yeah, that's the exception. That's a good shot. That's a very, very good shot. And then have you ever seen anyone that's improved their three-point shooting in college more than – especially at Xavier than Colby Jones? I can't think Probably not, but the weird thing about him was, and I know you'll remember this, like even as a recruit, I was talking about, I was like, I love this kid's game. Yep. And his shot doesn't look broken, but he just never shoots the three, like never, ever takes a three point shot. And then he got to Xavier at first and it was like, okay, same type of deal. It's like, he, he looks like he could shoot probably 33, 35%, but I just don't know if he's going to take enough attempts for it to matter. And they finally started to bring that out of him. And I mean, really never at any point did it feel like, oh, Colby Jones can't shoot. Right, You know, no one was like, Colby Jones has a broke shot. It's just like, he's not a shooter. He doesn't really shoot the ball. And as, as soon as he started shooting it with more volume, it pretty much bared out that, no, he's an okay shooter. He's not great, but he's yeah. but he's okay. And, and he's continued to get better from there. So yeah, I think, I think he could be a 35, 36% three-point shooter in the NBA. I agree. Um, what do you think about, it seems like Kunkel's had a pretty good little, little stretch. He what, hit three, three threes last night. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was three for four from three-point distance. He's played in two games so far, and each of those games he's hit some threes and, and been fairly efficient. So I can't imagine that he's got a, a lot of NBA looks, yeah. but I could see somebody putting him on a G League team or put him, or uh, someone taking on a chance of him overseas for a while. Like, I think Adam Kunkel would definitely make some money playing basketball. I don't oh. predict that he'll be an NBA player, but uh, he's, he's definitely showed well for himself here in the two games that he's been in. And then we've got a tatted Jack Nungy. Did you, how long has that tat been there? Did you know about Got, that? Gotta be new. Gotta be but new. He did always wear a sleeve, didn't he? I think you're right. Part, or at least short sleeve shirts that came down to like here. Yeah, now that I think about it, I think you're right. I mean, it does look like fresh ink. And I don't care to ask anybody to actually find out the real information. It's way more fun to just ask each other on a podcast like this and speculate. You think he went to uh, Adam Kunkel's leg tattoo guy? I think that's actually not a real tattoo. I think Kunkel just has a bunch of sleeves. Like... <laughs> 
on, you know what I mean? Has them ready for like, this is the one I'm going to wear today. It's yeah. like, here, Jack, I'm not wearing this one anymore. You can have it. And then one of the guys that I, I just think Sule, I really, really think highly of Sule Boom's game. So I'm just, I don't think he'll play in the league. I mean, if he was six foot three, I think he'd be an NBA guy, but I'm just interested to see where he goes. He's God, he was so good. Yeah. The problem for him is just defensively. Yeah, you know, he, he just, he really struggles to guard and he's so slight of stature in terms of his strength that I, it's really gonna be tough at the professional level. Yeah, you have to hide him on defense, but man, he can play. I mean, his aim is limitless. Yeah, he really is. All right, well, that's I mean, that's all I've got. Do you have anything else you want to touch on or hit on or promote or anything? Nothing that I can really think of, man. I'm just excited to see people in Cintas. If you uh, if you want to help out the cause, the best thing to do is just get there and get loud, man. Uh, it's it's going to be a cool event for the city. Hopefully, something that we can continue to do. Hopefully, we get a shootout out of it. Uh, but I have nothing else, man. I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate the summer content. Should they just uh, go to a website to buy tickets or what's yeah, the, you go to the, the tournament.com slash tickets um, or it's on Xavier's website as well. But if you, if you check out the Twitter account, we're tweeting the, the link out all the time. All right. Good deal. He is cap X on Twitter. You know, him as Jason Meyer on here, Jason, thanks for uh, doing this, man. I appreciate it. Thanks as always. Appreciate you.